Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the Art of Music. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, an illustrator for bands and a lifelong music fan. And in this series, we explore the crossroads where visual art and music meet. I sit down with musicians and their creative collaborators to talk about the art of music and the stories behind iconic album covers, videos, band posters, stage experiences, and merchandise that all make music so much more than just sound. On this episode, I talk with Ben Lee, a musician and singer-songwriter I have been a fan of ever since I was a kid. Ben started making music when he was a kid in his band Noise Addict and went on to release countless acclaimed solo records with songs you might know and love like Catch My Disease, Cigarettes Will Kill You, Pop Queen, We're All in This Together, and his latest single, Born for This Bullshit. And in this conversation, I speak with Ben and the music video director for Born for This Bullshit, Byron Spencer, a beloved photographer, director, and creative who concocted a bizarre, hilarious viral video for the first single for Ben's upcoming new album called I'm Fun, which is coming out later this year in 2022. We talk all about the creative process behind the song and video, what makes for a great collaboration, and how this first single hits the zeitgeist of these strange days we're living through. If you're new to Making Ways, The Art of Music, definitely check out our past episodes. We've got great ones with Krungbin, Speedy Ortiz, Not A Surf, and many more incredible bands and artists. Oh, and we're going to try something new with the show this year. We'll be releasing episodes as we have them. So there's no new season, just great conversations about the art of music for your ears as soon as they are ready for you. So be sure to subscribe and follow the show to get them first. And now, without further ado, here's our first new episode for the new year with Ben Lee and Byron Spencer. Ben, it's great to meet you and Byron, you as well. Thanks so much for joining Making Ways. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started. And just I want to hear about how you two first met. Byron, I know, obviously, you directed Born for This Bullshit, but you've, you know, created the whole aesthetic for I'm Fun, Ben, your new album coming out next year. How did you two first meet as friends, collaborators? Well, there's a fashion label in Australia called Romance Was Born, and they had a little, was sort of like a installation kind of evening type thing at the Powerhouse Museum. And there were these two kind of just freaky dudes, one playing flute, another doing VR. And there were these projections up on the wall. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I love the look of all this. And I put a little bit on my Instagram story and then Byron wrote, hey, that's me. And so I started looking at his work and I was just, I so resonated with the aesthetic. Like things I connect with, they're not always like things I've done before or anything. They're just, there's an energy to them. And there was a color and a playfulness. And I just started watching what Byron was putting out. And then when he did the Genesis Owusu video, I was like, oh my God, this is like my favorite video I've seen in so long. (laughs) And I just, so when I went into my label, I was like, they said, what ideas do you have for the visuals? I was like, I just want to say to Byron Spencer, can you do the whole thing? And that was, that was basically from my side, you know. That's amazing. And Byron, were you familiar with Ben and his music? And did you get an early listen at I'm Fun and kind of get to get your creative juices like going around the music? Or was it just kind of at the very start of things? I have always been familiar. So yeah, that was such a funny, weird day. I studied music, but I'm 
kind of like also working on this music project. And so that day was like just a little bit nerve wracking because I'm now also suddenly in an event like singing and playing a flute and <laughs> it's just weird, like so much going on. And we're always fast paced kind of like chasing our tail and suddenly doing something else. And so that day I was just a bit like, God, what are we doing? And we had no real like plan, but then I quite enjoyed it. Like we kind of built this kind of weird ambient set and were pretty much improvising. But I remember, yeah, I was just very lost in my flute and just kind of sitting there and playing flute. And I remember your presence. Like, I think you were standing there for a little bit because um, there weren't, it was a bit, very big room and not a huge amount of people in there because it was this like art exhibition. But I remember someone standing there for a little bit. And I think I looked up and, and then me and Dan, who I'd make the music with, we were like, did you see Ben Lee? <laughs> so we, we got very excited because we, like, we thought it was quite random as well that you were just there. Rob, I'm what's commonly known as a national treasure in Australia. So, you <laughs> I know, know, my presence I know, can be very intimidating. You know? And then afterwards you find out that that night, you know, has now blossomed into this like amazing collaboration. I want to hear about the aesthetic of the new record, both from like the music side, Ben, and then Byron, what you've brought to it from the visuals. Like, what was the feeling that you wanted to convey? Yeah, well, for me, musically, there's a collage-like nature to it, to the music, because also because it was made during the pandemic, so there was, like, sending stuff around, so automatically you get this kind of collage feeling. But there was also this mixture of the aesthetic I grew up in by musically having people like Money Mark and John Bryan and, you know, people that were sort of from the generation above me that I met in the 90s and everything, and then getting people like Shamir and Georgia Mack and Sadie Dupuis who are like younger generation and kind of going like, oh, wow, like me and my slightly left of centre tastes is the glue that can hold, it can contain all of these references. And I guess I sensed in Byron almost like, the same kind of thing I saw in like cut and paste fanzines in the nineties. Like it was just, even though the tools have changed and there's a lot more digital and the possibilities are so different because you can shoot so much in such a short time and everything. I still sense the same kind of DIY approach. And so that's for me, how the music and the visuals came together. And then Byron can tell you about just how it unfolded from his side, I guess. Yeah. Byron, let me hear like, did you hear the music? Did you just go with born for this bullshit? first and create that video or like talk to me about how you started to put together the visual aesthetic of the album yeah I heard the music and I listened to that and then we got on a phone call it was kind of like the first thing was that it was a little bit time pressing as as they always are in a lockdown <laughs> yeah and then it was lockdown um right. mixed which I think also is now there's always like a twist like we have to all do it separately and we need it like soon the pandemic kind of ingredients have been quite fun for me in a even further DIY approach, which has been fun, but also a little bit tricky at times. Like I've, I guess like just missed also like set dynamic and just like the humanness, but we still were lucky. Like we obviously needed to make it in a way, but we still got to obviously shoot just with very small team. I think the thing that resonated most with me was when we were just kind of like talking at each other a little bit. And I think just like spurting out things we like and, I'm just super into like pop culture things that keep happening, like Instagram filters. And I've always loved filters like Snapchat. And when you said elf yourself, I think that was the first thing that really popped in my brain. <laughs> I totally know that, but I didn't connect the video. 
<laughs> with that. Yeah, I was like, we were just started talking about ideas. He was like, what about your head on something? And I was like, like, elf yourself. And suddenly I think then the dancing came into play too. <laughs> Wait, why is this not part of the marketing campaign where like I can paste my head into this video? Or budgeting, and- budgeting restrictions. <laughs> but that's a great idea, Rob. <laughs> ben, I wanted to ask if that kind of like maestro, you know, editor role played into all these collaborations you had on the new record. Like when you're bringing in all these people, Shamir and John Bryan and all all these folks, and you're asking them to collaborate with you, but it's coming through your filter, your lens, you're deciding kind of what ultimately is going to end up on those final tracks. How do you approach that from the standpoint of collaboration and editing, and then ultimately like seeing your vision through? Well, I think you have to start, you have to go back earlier and you have to go it's 95% casting, right? So if you ask the right person to do a job, you stand a way better chance of them just delivering the first time the right thing that you like. Because like, you know, for me, if I ask Joey Warrenker to play drums on something and it's the right song for him, he's going to kill it because it's Joey Warrenker. If I send stuff to Money Mark, I know he's going to send back two or three passes through the whole song and I'm going to look through it for the hook because that's how they got the hook for So What You Want or for Where It's At, the Beck song. He's got a long history of his skill set is off his own just response to the music. He'll noodle around and play some simple things that just become like the best ear candy. So anyway, it's all casting, right? And then you have all the stuff. And then for me, my friend Justin Stanley who co-produced the record, his job was really, I brought the whole, all the sessions to him and I went, let's go through it with a fine tooth comb and really see what's working and what isn't. But yeah, it's very mysterious. I used to be more controlling and I'm now realizing that like the job of an artist, if you're a good collaborator, is almost to be more like a party host. Like, can you throw a wonderful party? where everyone's going to bring their best and have a great time and make great memories and not go back home and say, oh, I can't believe I said that thing. Or, you know, like like you want to just create an atmosphere where everyone's just open and digging it and on the same page. And I had this moment because a lot of my struggles with finding the right collaborators have been that I like cool and I like hip, but I also like emotion and I like openness and vulnerability. And Sometimes in the hip side of things, you find people who are quite shut down and they're not open to vulnerability. And that sometimes be a challenge for me. And there was a moment when I was shooting with Byron and he's playing music. He's, we're just doing footage. And he had some, I don't know, it was like an opera track on or something. And it was so open and so artistic. And I realized that like strip away the like tech punk, you know, whatever, like he's known for kind of like, you know, weird, subversive, like, you know, transgressive magazine kind of thing. And there is like, (laughs) I'm just trying to sum you up in a way that was very ineffective. But underneath all of that, there is a human being who's willing to be present in a moment and be responsive to that. And that is what really draws me to collaborators where you kind of go, I don't know what we're going to make together, but let's make something. Yeah, and it sounds like you did that with the music and you did it with Byron for the artwork because yeah, exactly. it sounds like you weren't like super heavy-handed in the art in the video like you knew you loved his work. It was the casting and then there was a collaboration from there. 
We talked as we went, though, as well, about, like, narrative and ideas. And, like, you were amazing. Like, we moved with a tight schedule, so it kind of built as we went. I remember that we had that meeting one day on a Zoom with quite a lot of people. And and I was just like, Fuck. like, suddenly I was like, because I think I'm just, you're just kind of always going with something. And then these, this is fun because it's a bit more, like, creative talk. But the business meetings, when they become a bit more like, you know, what's happening here? And then... And Byron said, what is the actual vision or something? And something I like, remember, like, I just blanked. And I, like, went off screen like this. I just had this moment of, like, whoa, like, everything's too fast-paced. Like, but, like, we were just, like, kind of just going, passing it along as we went, like, little ideas as we went. And that's one of the things that can be tricky, like, luckily to do a video like this in Australia, you basically have to be on a major label because the industry is small enough that in indie wouldn't have the budget for it. And being on a major has its dangers too. And one of them is too many committee decisions being made. And so from the very beginning, and I absolutely love the creative producer who's me and Byron's mutual friend at Warner, Jess. Like she is a real manifester and a cheerleader and she can just go like, let's get the pe- let's do it, let's do it. But I was also at the same time well aware that it had to be like me and Byron on the phone, like, can we feel each other energetically? Because if you make that bond, the rest is smooth sailing. But if you start it from this place of the whole committee is involved, it can get very tricky. It's almost like, what is the core of the project? It has to be two people's minds bumping into each other. And as long as we could keep coming back to that, and now, you know, me and Byron are talking about a second video, and it's almost like you start building a shorthand by collaboration and you have language that you can kind of build upon, you know? So it's really yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. And one of the cool things about um, rock and roll, you know, which is essentially still the fencing that we are within, is that there's a pretty clear parameter for what works visually, I think, and that is that you either have to want to sleep with the artist or be their best mate. Like, <laughs> I want if- both. <laughs> if you're not having one, if you're not having one of those reactions, the thing isn't working. Basically, like that. everyone has to look cool, and then you can interpret that in whatever way you want. But I kind of like keeping it simple in that sense. Like if it's eliciting a feeling of basically like I want to get closer to this person, to their mind, to their energy, to their creativity, it's working. You don't need to worry about any other rationalization. <laughs> Why well, was born for this bullshit? the first single that you wanted to release into the world around this album? Well, it's just such a mission statement, you know? Like, I often find with singles and, like, Catch My Disease was a big song because it followed a template that's, like, from the Beatles, which is basically, like, the singer singing to the female audience saying, love me, love me. (laughs) Like, pop music is littered with those kind of songs. I want to hold your hand. Please, please me. Love me do. They're love songs from artist to audience. Please catch my disease, you know? So that is like a great type of hit song off that album, you know? And Born For This Bullshit is like, is another type of classic song. It's a, it's a rebel song, right? And it's like, Welcome to the Jungle is that from Guns N' Roses. My Name Is Slim Shady is one of those. Like great singles that basically make you feel like a badass when you listen to them. You feel yourself. Like you've got it on your headphones right, right. going down the street. You're like, man, I'm cool. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. So it's kind of like very simple. <laughs> it had to be the first single. And in your mind, I know from interviews in the past with you, maybe this originated with like the music business dealing with all of this, 
you know, crap that you have to deal with as an artist. But obviously now in light of the years past, it takes on new meaning with politics and the pandemic and everything. Like, what does it mean to you? Is it all of those things? I think in the last couple of years, we've all found a capacity for like suffering and loneliness and worry and fear and a resilience and courage and like everybody is persevering, like little kids, like my daughter, what I see how how she's persevered through in the last two years, I'm like, wow, humans are tough, you know? And so the song to me now really feels like, like my friend Patience from The Greats, she said, it's the ultimate I can do hard things song. And you can put that into whatever field you're in, but it's like that feeling of like, I can handle it. It's good. It's a good feeling. And Byron, what are you thinking about for this next video and like, you know, kind of drawing out the aesthetic from the record beyond the first video? Does it start like on a sketch pad for you? Does it start with like a, a inspiration board? Is it just all in your head and in conversation until you shoot? Like, do you have those first scraps of inspiration that you share to create that language between each other? I guess it depends on the nature of it all. I This one definitely in head and then just needed a few things just to make a slight sense of it all. And then kind of knowing that it would just organically grow, like, you know, loose amount of theme and idea. But I knew that this one was just going to be fun with that element. As long as we did what we needed to do process-wise. And then I knew that, you know, we just throw things at it. I've definitely had to become much more organized with, you know, just decks and just just so, again, like you owe it to the people that you are going to work with. Like I spend a lot of time just having to make a lot of decks of references and stuff just so you're not like on set and someone's getting a bit like pissed off with you being like, and also when they're so talented, like you just want to, so then you can enter it into their head. Um, so that's just like a an amazing learning lesson for all shoots. The more and more they're becoming what they kind of set out to be is really awesome. But yeah, I learn as well as I go, I learn. Because I'm still doing a bunch of, I'm doing like fashion photography and I'm doing this stuff more now and I'm doing my own stuff. It's like maybe, I think you can get the storyboarders or whatever. Like, you know, maybe next for me, it'll be like working with someone who I can just keep talking to and then they kind of help build the storyboards and stuff. Yeah. Is fashion photography where you came up in that world? Again, it was all very, I was studying musical theater and I I finished that course. And the first thing you would do would be go to start auditioning. And I just, it didn't sit with me, the concept of being in musicals, because I definitely always loved theater and I loved music, but I was like, I don't think my brain would actually like repetition like that. And I also don't know if I really, I like lots of musicals, but I hate so many. And so I was like, just have a breather. And so I took some time. And then I think I'd always gravitated towards taking photos and I definitely always was filming, but I never, never fully acknowledged that maybe that was a concept of something to do. But I just like, yeah, I just started taking photos and then I was just like early twenties. And so I was shooting more like nightclubs. Like I started shooting all the like fun gay parties and stuff, which was just so fun. Cause suddenly I was from a country town and suddenly I was like around like crazy people and they were letting me document them and then I started making money from it so then I was just like oh I've got this like really cool job and like you know I guess when you start making money from something you start thinking oh maybe this is what I should or my brain is like I should pursue this but just like keep building it like I know I knew I had to like if I'm gonna do anything creative I have to build it yeah then I started shooting street style I started shooting you know the people on the street I had a column in the Sun Herald in the newspaper here Um, Which was an awesome job. And for me, like photography has been this amazing gift of realizing like 
just getting to meet humans and just like have this like privilege of like documentation and just getting to know people. And yeah, the newspaper thing was fun because I just had to walk the streets and just, you know, choose people to shoot. And it was super fun. And then everything just yeah kept on changing because then I was friends with a lot of people in like a lot of my friends were studying fashion. And so then I got to practice like photos on their outfits that they were making for TAFE. And then we'd meet a model and then I'd have like more like an amazing model. And then, yeah, then it just started unraveling. And then through time, it just becomes more and more like trusting and bigger and fantastical. And yeah, it's such a journey, I guess, because always in the back of my brain, I started like thinking, oh, I need to build this like over time, like, because it's going to have to trust from people and like enough like space of time to let people understand who you are. Sure. I love that. And I think the world now is more suited to people that don't limit themselves to mediums because basically, you know, we're sharing our psyche and that can occur through many different mediums. You know, I have people say to me, are you ever going to act again? I was like, I acted in a movie when someone asked me to, maybe I'll do it again. If I, I don't care. I don't care what medium I'm working in as long as it's like got the vision that I relate to. I love that notion of like seeing past the medium and just like cutting that wall down and just going purely from self to creation and output. And I feel like technology makes it easier to like switch between audio and video and music and all of these things. So I love that idea of like whatever you're drawn to creatively, that should be the output that you're making. And Ben, I want to ask you, I mean, I feel like as an artist, you've always operated in the moment, but you've always had a broader sense of self in the context of the world, self in the context of your career. Was there some kind of clarifying moment over like recent years where you said, I'm fun, I'm positive, I accept all of these like twists and turns that I've taken in my career and I'm going to embrace it all and I'm going to move forward? Like where does regret overcoming, acceptance, all of those things play into where you're at right now as an artist? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can say one moment, but the liberating thing about getting into my 40s is that when you look at artists who do good work in their 40s and onwards, it's generally through self-acceptance. You don't come in with a clean slate. You come in with successes, failures, stupid things you've done, great things you've done. You've got a whole history. And when I think of like Lucinda Williams or Tom Waits, Leonard Cohen, Bonnie Raitt, like people that did great work as adults, as men and women of like gravity, it's because they came in and they wore their wounds as like badges of honor. They were like medals. They weren't embarrassed about them. And I think the shift for me was more into saying, hey, maybe instead of like worrying, did I make missteps? Like I was talking to a friend about this yesterday because I used to look at artists I came up with whose brands, like personal brands, were super linear and just streamlined. And so they built businesses that were incredibly cohesive. I remember talking to Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional about this, going like, dude, you've built this emo empire because you (laughs) did it like in this linear way, like little steps forward, just perfectly. I said, I change all the time. You know, and I was like, I used to get frustrated with myself. And suddenly I realized, okay, what is like the Jungian perspective on dealing with shadow elements is to incorporate them. So instead I went, well, maybe I'm the guy who's unpredictable. Maybe I'm the kind of guy who builds things and burns them. 
maybe that's what I am. And instead of being like, oh no, I can't believe I burn it down. Be the guy who went, I burn it down. You know, <laughs> that's cool. And so yeah. it's maturity. It's about accepting yourself and realizing that the answer is sort of right in front of you to what kind of person you should really be. But it involves not running away from your past. Also, you can have regrets, but it happened, man. It's part of you. It's like all the things I've done. And that's why for me, the lyrics on the album, it's really important that they had a reflectiveness and a sense of humor. Like when I say um, desires, you repressed them. I joined three cults and left them. Like who else could write that lyric? You know, because that's my own honesty about my journey. And once I can laugh about it, I give everyone permission to laugh. And everyone, we can all have fun because our journeys are bizarre. It didn't happen overnight. It's like a gradual thing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And what can listeners expect in the music and in the lyrics on the rest of the record? Like what makes you really proud about this one? I think in some ways, this is both my most profound album, profound collection of songs, and my most sensually enjoyable. So I think what's fun is that that's where it meets for me, that you can listen to the lyrics and go deep with it, but you can also like, there's great grooves and great melodies and harmonies. And it just feels like it's easy to listen to in like a way of like, I think it, it will make your body feel good, you know? So I'm excited about that. That's amazing. I can't wait to hear it and hopefully see you play at some point when that's possible. Hopefully you'll come back to the States. I yeah. know you're in Australia full-time now. I wanted to ask you both about your creative practices, like what your days are like as artists, as creative people. Ben, you've been so prolific over your career. I think I'm Fun is perhaps your 20th record. The first 20 are the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. Um, but you've you know you've collaborated with with so many. You've had your own bands. You've done Radner and Lee. You've you know put together these mixtape collections, covered artists as well. It's an incredible amount of work. And I'm wondering if you approach song making, artistry as kind of going to a job, or you wait until inspiration strikes and then you go with it. Or if you're stuck, you you know turn to other means. And same thing for you, Byron, like, are you waiting for a project to come? Are you kind of coming up with an intention about the kinds of things you want to work on? I want to hear a little bit about the practice. This year's been like a bit interesting just to start like understanding, like, I think I've realized I'm a bit turbo. And I think like, because I'm like still like manifesting and marinating a lot of stuff I really want to do. So either way, I always keep myself busy because I'm always like going, like I'm always wanting to make something like I'm always making something in whatever capacity I feel. This year was a lot more juggling between a lot of like other artists. And like, that's been like beautifully insightful and like so many opportunities to learn, but it's also been tricky on my day-to-day -day magic of like creation. Like I always walk, I always call them my, my special walks, <laughs> but like I just always, as long as I can keep walking, that's where I like at least just like start visioning where and what's next. 
things like this, for instance, have been so awesome because it feels new and it feels like an evolution. Whereas, yeah, because I'm like also working in this like kind of commercial fashion space, you're kind of reproducing stuff that you kind of experimented with a few years ago, which is awesome because you're working, but like then like the artist within you kind of is like, oh, like I need people to see like something new or else I'm not going to be, because like, I was like juggling so much. It's a lot of context switching, especially when you're, you know, working between mediums and projects. And yeah, I think going for those walks, whatever the like the meditative practice you bring to your work where you can kind of like let the subconscious untangle the wires of the work. It sounds like that helps a bit. Yeah, I think for me, it's a constantly evolving process staying creatively connected to myself like I've been in promo world the last few weeks of just talking and promoting and I try and have fun with that like you know we got we got a backdrop and I've got clothes and I got lights and like we're trying to make it creative still but I'm still promoting work you know which is it's different I think I look at it in terms of my own connectedness like happiness in my body creativity flows pretty easily when you're connected to your intuition, I think. So I look at it in terms of like my recipe for this year has been like, if there's a day where I can jump in the ocean, exercise and have sex, I will be pretty good. Like the creativity will flow naturally from there. So I think it's just figuring out what your self-care is. I try not to worry about creativity. Like the more you obsess about it, you can get superstitious and weird about it. I kind of go, look, I'm 30 years into my career. I, I think I've made it through imposter syndrome, which was probably took the first 25. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. And now it's a matter of going like, okay, I guess this sort of is my destiny. Let's try and like stay happy, stay relaxed, stay receptive. And then you can have moments where like I get the invitation to the romance was born thing. And I'm like, Ooh, that sounds fun. And then I see Byron doing his thing on the wall. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Like, I wouldn't be able to have those responses if I was too tightly wound, you know? So staying connected to, like, what sounds interesting and fun is generally, like, the best way forward for me. I found that in my life, too, like that openness to connection, the openness to kindness. I actually met my fiancé on an airplane. We were sitting next to each other. And I think that... I had been going into those months prior with an openness to connect with people professionally, personally, in any kind of way. And then I just connect with what you're saying about keeping that intuition, keeping that connection, keeping those lines open. So I love that. Totally. Because I got in this headspace even, I can go into like, oh man, I've just made this record I'm really proud of where I've pushed the boundaries and I've made the stage bigger. And I said, what am I going to do next? Oh my God, it's got to be as good or better. And, had, and then you start going, what if I recreate these? And then I'm like, hang on, that's not how any of it works. It works by following what you're into. <laughs> that must just be a hard thing, though, to, like, like balance because that's what I'm scared of, like, further down is just, like, that constant need and then that's the maybe, like, crazy almost addiction of it all. Like, you need to, like, it needs to be bigger or, or like, just that kind of always, like, needing to shock or surprise or whatever. But I've also admire artists with long careers who reject the capitalist framework of everything has to be bigger. Like when I look at David Bowie, he had very interesting periods that have had bigger impact on culture that were further out of the public eye. They weren't 
those big moments. Same with, you know, Bob Dylan. For me, like Andy Warhol, like the screen tests are the thing I most connect with of any of his work. Most people don't like those. With Woody Allen, I like Interiors. That's my favorite movie of his. With Scorsese, I like King of Comedy. I like the things that didn't work or weren't bigger. So I try and have the attitude that it's an adventure. And as long as you keep ducking into the mainstream every few years and going like, hey, still here, you do whatever you want. (laughs) I love that. Is that what you might say to your younger self? I mean, do you ever think about that? Like, what if I'd had this mentality or, I mean, you started so young, Ben, if you could pull, you know, childhood Ben aside, what would you say? It's hard to think in terms of myself. I know with younger artists, when I mentor, because that you find yourself in that position more as you get older with like Amy from Amel and the Sniffers, like she said, oh, can I run some things by you just I'm going through business wise? Because people want to talk to other people that have been in the mainstream and outside the mainstream for long periods and go, how do you navigate it? But what I generally say is <laughs> my number one thing, this is so weird, but this is like my number one piece of advice is that, you know, that Spike Lee movie where Ed Norton's going to prison and he's the last 24 hours of his time as a free man. So it, it's like he's in New York and he's going to go to prison. And one of the last scenes is he's had this, he's done ecstasy and been out at the clubs and had remorse and like, you know, and then he turns to his friend, he goes, punch me in the face. And his friend's like, what? He goes, fuck me up. If I go into prison looking like this, I'm going to be the bottom of the food chain. Make me look like a tough guy. Fuck me up. And then he goes into prison battered. And you know that like he's going to get a certain level of respect that he wouldn't get if he went in unblemished. And I think artists, if you're going to work with corporate entities, which we all are, but whether it's labels or advertisers or whatever, you got to go in there with a black eye because they're not going to mess with you. And, you know, I'm not an artist. I don't make demos for labels. If you, I'll make my record. If you want to put it out, put it out. If not, I'll put it out myself or I'll give it to someone else. If you start the process by being someone that needs permission for everything, that is going to be the train that you're going to be on for your whole career. If you have those fights in the beginning and you go, hey, see this? That's my territory. You don't come in here. Happy to connect with you. Love the support. Amazing. But this is my space. You have to be a bit like that early in your career or you're going to do it later and it's going to be harder. Like I think for someone like Taylor Swift or someone like that, winning those rights back later, they become difficult and she's done it and you can do it. But man, it's hard. When there's millions of dollars at stake, it's hard. So do it in the beginning. Carve out your territory. That's your space. Don't let anyone into it. Accept the consequences of that. And I guarantee it'll give you freedom down the line. I love that. Did you have that as a young artist? Yeah, unintentionally, you know. <laughs> like I didn't intentionally. Do, but in some ways, every time you make a decision that is not the one that they want you to make, you're doing that wasn't able to articulate it this early, but I think I always looked at like Neil Young doing a feedback album and going, oh, there's points in your career where you have to give the middle finger. And once you do that, people don't mess with you in the same way because they realized you can give it up. 
Right, right. It's like negotiating. Once you can walk away, your power is bigger. So the podcast is all about the art of music. I wanted to ask you both about what you view as the connection between visual art, video art, and music, what it's meant in your own work, what it's meant for the artists that you love. I mean, Ben, throughout your career, has the album covers and the first videos and all of that, has that played into your mindset as you're creating the music or thinking about promotion? Does it come kind of more of a sticker on afterwards? I had a bit of a scrapbook. I had a visual scrapbook while I was making the music. And it was like pictures of people like Lee Perry and Captain Beefheart and Tom Waits, Willy Wonka, bric-a-brac lunatics, (laughs) uh, DIY flawed masterminds, you know? And I was like, that's the energy, the visuals. It's been a journey for me. Like I didn't grow up in a family that valued aesthetics very much. So they were very much like just of the time. Like if I look back at pictures of my living room in the early 80s, it just looked like everyone's living room in the early 80s. Like my parents just (laughs) did whatever was, you know, on sale at Harvey Norman. So for me, the journey of becoming more aesthetically minded has been a process. And I've been lucky that I've sort of tried to, when people knew a lot about it, great visual artists, directors, I would sort of like, learn from them. And now I feel like I do have my own aesthetic sensibility. That's like, you take little bits of all the people that you've studied, you know, but I think Byron will have a more interesting answer because you actually do both of these things. Yeah. I'm curious how your brain kind of visualizes music, Byron, and how you create that. It's just imagination, I guess. I can't really like figure out how else to put it. Like with what we did, it was just fun. And I I really love that kind of energy of just making really quickly. I just would love to just create like little short glimpses of visuals just with like moments, just a sound. Because that for me, in, in terms of like what I would like to show is just a little bit more simpler and a little bit more like in those, it's like, you know, when you're at the park or like, you see one moment and then if, or if it goes to that song and you're listening, and it's like that one moment is so special. So I think everything comes back to music for me. Like even yeah, when you were saying, like when I shoot, like I, I get excited for shooting just because I get to DJ and just like play music that like goes to that moment. And so, yeah, I guess I'm always being like, just like mainly driven by music. Ben and Byron, thank you so much for joining the show, for being open to the conversation. I loved it. And Byron, I love your work. I'm a new fan of all your photography and videos. I can't wait to see more of what's coming for I'm Fun. And Ben, I've been such a fan of yours for my whole life, basically. And so it's a great pleasure to meet you and talk to you. And I can't wait to hear the record. So thanks so much again, guys. Right on, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Big thanks to Ben Lee and Byron Spencer for joining the show. If you dug what you heard, be sure to subscribe, follow, and share this podcast with a friend too. And a great way to support the show is to give us an awesome rating or five stars wherever you're listening. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineering is by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can learn more about the show at makingwayspodcast.com and find us on Instagram at making.ways. And if you have a project that brings together music and art, I'd love to work together. So hit me up. Be well and see you soon. Thanks again for listening. Were you re-